the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by the Federation for American Immigration Reform and George Rodriguez on 930 AM, The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas, on this Saturday, December the 10th. 2022 welcome to the show my friends we've got a packed one as usual as usual for you lots of things happening <clears throat> regarding the border uh, the border crisis and the situation here in south texas as well as how it's impacting on the rest of the of the united states my friends first of all uh there was a tragedy uh on wednesday uh, early in the morning, a uh, Border Patrol agent lost his life uh, as he was pursuing some illegal aliens in the McAllen area. Uh, tragically, he ran, uh, he was pursuing them and he ran into a fence and uh, he was killed. Uh, again, my friends, this is a direct result of the Biden administration's refusal to do something that will shut down the volume, the number of people coming across the border illegally. He is inviting them, and they are coming. They are they they are crossing the border uh, because they have an invitation that they're once they get across, they are going to be uh, left alone. They are going to be released. They are going to be given a date uh, to appear, and they never will appear. And this is the headache that we've got, my friends. Nothing, nothing stops people from coming across the border at this point. And the, the, the Biden administration is encouraging it. This uh, Border Patrol agent was doing his job, and he was killed for it. it, it, it it's, it, it's more than a tragedy. It's a, it, it's, it, it's a shame. There was also a, um, a shooting incident in Laredo between Cartel and Nuevo Laredo on the other side of the border between cartels uh we are going to uh, do a couple of uh of of inter of, of our um uh, interviews first and then in the second half i'll introduce the other folks that are going to be uh, our guests so um our first guests are going to be congressman randy weber from the di from the 14th district of texas and ian Pryor, who is with first uh america legal foundation they will be our first guests so without further ado Let's go ahead and go to our interviews. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And uh, we've got uh, our good friend, Congressman Randy Weber from the 29th District of Texas. 14th District. Oh, 14th District. I'm sorry. The 14th yep. District of Texas. And... Um, we wanted to get him on because uh, as we're getting ready, my friends, to uh, bring in the new year, we're also getting ready to bring in a new Congress, con Congressman, a new House. Um, what? Um, welcome to the show, and uh, tell, tell us a little bit about um, this lame duck session right now uh, that's going on and uh, what you foresee for the, for the new Congress. Well, uh, thanks, George, first for having me on, being a conservative voice uh, for our area that you are. We appreciate that and they're glad to be here. The lame duck's going to be really interesting. Um, I've been here 10 years, and, you know, this is not like the Texas legislature. I spent four years in the Texas House, and we always balanced our budget and did not have spending out of control like the Democrats do. <laughs> and Nancy Pelosi, about three or four days ago, was at the White House, and they asked her about getting a spending bill done in the lame duck session, basically. And she said she thought they would try to get either an omnibus, didn't know if that would work, or a CR, a continuing resolution, and 
Jen George, she said, we may have to do one for a whole year, which, you know, goes to the end of the budget year, September 30th next year. And I, but then she said, but we don't want to have to do that or something to that effect. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, you mean to tell me you, the Democrats, you all would try to do a spending bill that continues 10 months, almost 10 months after you're gone, after you're out of power? That's never happened in the 10 years I've been here. They're, they're drunk with power. She's drunk with power. And then I remember, George, when she said, well, we really don't want to. I thought, you know what? I remember growing up as a kid when I did, got that line, my dad would grab me. He said, I'm gonna, you got to get us back with that. He said, I don't want to do this. It's going to hurt me a lot more than it hurts you. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, so that's what Pelosi's saying. Oh, we don't want to do this. Yeah, yeah. It's going to hurt her. Yeah, sure it is. I, I mean, you know, the amount of money that this... Uh that these folks have spent on everything from from protecting us from COVID, supposedly. But I just don't see them protecting us from inflation. Um, uh, you know, I hear a lot of folks happy that uh, their gasoline, the, the gasoline right now is at uh, like 250 a gallon. But um, but but uh, the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, uh, gasoline is still a lot higher than it was uh, uh, under Trump. I mean, I don't I don't understand what have we gone where where is this what's happening well there's a couple things in play here at least right off the bat we can talk about number one if you remember when biden got after he got elected they started talking about coming out with an infrastructure bill and uh, they wound up with it 1.7 trillion with a t dollars and president biden said this is the largest infrastructure bill in american history but it won't cost American taxpayers anymore. <laughs> and I, I'm like, where do you think this money's coming from? Really? <laughs> uh, I mean, he, this, the denial, the inflation, the amount of money that they've been pouring out at every turn is just unbelievable. And if you're not, if you, you know, I did a little study on economy in my business degree. I got from the University of Houston on economics, uh, my, the study of economics, and Inflation is too much money chasing too, too many dollars, chasing too few goods. I, I think it might have been Adam Smith, Wealth of Nations, that put that out, that wrote that years and years and years back. I don't remember exactly who. And the Democrats have been pouring money. They wanted more COVID, even though we haven't spent all the COVID relief dollars. They wanted more COVID money. I actually filed a bill that said, let's spend those COVID relief dollars that are left over on hardening our schools to protect our kids against school shootings. They're not interested in that. I'm a Republican. They're not going to let me get anything passed, which is the way they've done. So that's inflation on the fuel side of things. Um, I just spoke to a group this morning. You, Russia was the number one fossil fuel exporter in the world. Of course, that's gone to, as you know, H-E-double in a handbasket ba- hand right. because of everybody has quit buying from Russia as much as possible. Biden has done his dead-level best to shut down the fossil fuel industry in America. He's gone to Venezuela and, and begged them to produce more oil. He's gone to Saudi Arabia and, produ- and begged them to produce more oil. And of course, as you know, being from Texas, I'm the Gulf Coast with a lot of refineries. Yep. More ports the Golden Israel. Triangle. Yep. Yes, yes sir. And, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, Keystone Pipeline would have come into my district or by Beaumont. And I'm thinking, Mr. President, why don't you come to Texas and beg us to produce more oil. <laughs> uh, we would do it cheaper. We would keep the jobs here at home. Uh, we, you know, we're not a foreign country, although Texas like to remind people we were at one time our own country. <laughs> <laughs> and so you can trust us. The prices would be reasonable. It means jobs here. It means lower fuel prices. It means lower inflation. Everything is kept at home. And yet this president is absolutely intent on killing the fossil fuel industry in the United States of America. Yeah, it, it seems like we pollute, but it's okay for Venezuela and Saudi Arabia to pollute. I, yeah, I don't we understand actually, <laughs> We actually produce uh, fossil, we actually produce energy cleaner than everybody else. And yet, and that's why we, I don't want to be part of the Paris Climate Accord. We're spending billions of dollars on that, and we're, and we're hooked into their idea of the global warming thing, which I think, look, fossil fuel, greenhouse gases are the enemy, not fossil fuel. So can we deal with capturing greenhouse gases? Absolutely. And the left, the crazy left with their crazy Green New Deal wants to tell us that it's the old chicken little 
uh, story, if you remember that, the sky is falling, right. the sky is falling. And they want to tell us that in 50 years, the temperature of the earth will be up one degree or whatever it is. And I'm like, you guys can't even predict the weather next week. True. You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen next week, whether it's going to be rain or cold front or, or what exact temperature. And you're telling us that in 50 years, the earth's crust is going to be warmed by a degree. <laughs> I mean, we shouldn't be killing our industries. And look, I guess I'm naive, George. As soon as we kill our energy industry, I'm sure China and Russia and Venezuela and <laughs> Iran and the Saudis and Mexico, I'm sure they will all follow suit. As soon as we kill our energy industry, they'll do theirs the same way. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, oh, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable the stupidity in what the left thinks. We need to be we need to be strapped to the Green New Deal. And I'll I'll sell you the the Bay Bridge there in in Baytown if you believe that. <laughs> you know, what, I, what, I, what I tell people is I'll sell them some beachfront property in Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the interesting things also uh, in this denial issue is the continuation of uh, what's happening at our border. I mean, uh, the, the the president went uh, to Arizona uh, earlier this week and um, still did not go even to visit or even address the issue of the border. What the heck? I mean, can 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 this the incoming house uh, do anything about that? Well, we will, of course. But as you probably saw, Georgia reelected Warnock to the Senate. Now the Senate has fifty-one Democrats and forty-nine Republicans, so it's not even a fifty-fifty tie, which the vice president needed to break. Now they've just got a majority, fifty-one to forty-nine. We would love to see the immigration law and rules change. You know this. Trump had it where they had remained the Mexico policy. Uh, he was working with the Mexican government. Correct. Uh, and that, that should still be in place. Uh, we, the catch and release program needs to be stopped. Uh, we need to build the border wall. We need to get our border secured. We need to make other countries understand that we're not going to be their dumping ground for criminals. We're just not. I think they've, they've collected, at the last count, was it 80 or 90 people that these are who we know they stopped that was on the, on the you know, terrorist watch list. Correct. Yep. So not to mention the, the fentanyl that's coming across, and you know this, 100,000 people a, a year in the United States are dying from fentanyl. And George, that's, the, that's 300 people a day. Wow. That is the, that's the equivalent of two Airliners, jet airliners with 150 people going down and killing all 50 on board, two a day in this country. Now, how long do you think, if you had two airliners going down a day killing 300 people, how long do you think before there'd be a public outcry? Exactly. That's exactly right. Yep. And and they just seem to just gloss over it. They come, well, I don't even hear them mentioning it. Yeah, it's just not important to them. They want they want us to be like the European Union, where everybody comes and goes at will. You don't need passports. You, know, I guess. Well, I don't know about the European Union. They require them or not, but they just want everybody to be able to come in at their will and pleasure. And we don't need to be a sovereign nation. We don't need to have a sovereign border. And that's the best, the quickest way that I know of to lose one of the quickest way I know of spin us into death. You know, uh, spiraling out of control. And of course, with no borders, no sovereign borders, no sovereign nation. You got it. Congressman, thank you very much for taking some time with us. Anything you'd like to share with us before we let you go? Anything well, else? Uh, well, you betcha. We are from Texas. We know as we picked, we picked up one Republican seat uh, down on the border, Monica de la Cruz. Uh, we missed a couple, you know, hanging on to uh, Myra Flores. Of course, we missed Kathy Garcia. But, uh, you know, our Texans, especially those along the border, are waking up. And uh, all this rhetoric that the Democrats have been spewing for so long, I think people are waking up and saying, you know what, the federal government might not be interested in protecting the Texas border, but by golly, we are. We know what's at stake. <laughs> and I think, I think you're going to see more and more Republicans elected as people decide Democrats just are not intent on protecting our country, period. That certainly is very, very obvious, painfully yeah. obvious to those of us that are, that are watching. I mean, it really, really is. Congressman. Thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us today. We're going to get you back on the sh- on the show as soon as the uh, the Congress starts, so you can tell us what um, what's planned and and yep. uh, who's on first and what um, what we can do, particularly about this energy crisis because it's killing us. Oh, absolutely. We ought to be able to get out. We ought to lead the world in energy, and I know you know that. It's, it's a pleasure, George. Always is. Again, I appreciate what you do and the voice you are for conservatism. 
You got it. Thank you very much. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador in San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. And we've got a new guest with us, Mr. Ian Pryor, who is with First uh, America Legal and uh, the First America Legal Foundation. And he has been working on a lawsuit regarding the uh, fake, and I'll use that word, uh, fake, uh, parent council that the Biden administration has established. Uh, it's fascinating to me how they can talk about parents when they don't know, when they cannot recognize genders. So anyway, uh, be that as it may, Ian, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for taking time. Talk to us. Tell us about this uh, lawsuit. Yeah, absolutely. And th thank you for having me. Um, you know, This was a lawsuit that was brought by America First Legal, uh, where I'm a senior advisor, Parents Defending Education and Fight for Schools, which is another organization um, which I'm the executive director of. And we brought this case in the United States District Court for um, D.C. against the Department of Education and uh, Secretary Miguel Cardona uh, because they, the Biden administration created what they call the National Parents and Families Engagement Council, um, which really was nothing more than an attempt to really paper over and and mask their their anti-family actions. Uh, which include the coordination with the National School Board Association that labeled parents domestic terrorists and wanted them investigated under the Patriot Act, which, of course, led to Merrick Garland immediately jumping in and, and issuing a memo authorizing U.S. attorneys and the FBI to investigate parents for speaking up at school board meetings, um, as well as the, the, the CDC's collusion with, with teachers unions um, to, keep, uh, to keep public schools closed. And so they created this council um, and they, they you know, really picked their, their their far left. You know, some of the far left organizations that are really just part of the problem. You know, we call, I call them the educational industrial complex, but that's really what they did. I mean, it was it was totally fake. It had nothing to do with representing you know parents, everyday parents across America. Um, and so we brought this lawsuit alleging that it was a violation of the Federal Advisory Committee Act, and and that has since been settled. And as part of that settlement. Um, the the council has been disbanded. Excellent, excellent. Now, again, this seems to be a a, a going a, a growing pattern or an ongoing pattern across the country where we've got this uh, this educational industrial complex, and I like that term, um, where where they are literally trying to control everything from D.C. all the way to the to the uh, school board grassroots uh, level. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, to really understand how these these local school systems work, you know, we elect school board members and, you know, it's really like a corporation, right, where, you know, the, the people that, that vote, we're the shareholders and the school board, they're the board of directors and then they hire a superintendent who is the CEO. But it doesn't actually work that way because in, in a company, it's the shareholders. I mean, they're the owners of the company. Um how it works is that in this case, the CEO, the superintendent, the administration, in large part runs everything. They run the school board. They tell the school board what to do. And where does the administration of these local school districts get their marching orders? They get it through, you know, unions. They get it through um, state government. They get it through, you know, the Federal Department of Education. Um, you know, there's all kinds of funding that is tied to, you know, these school systems doing what uh, the conditions of that funding. So you're seeing this really um, trickle down from the federal government and from from unions uh, that you know, government essentially government unions because that's really what they are. They're they're not teachers unions. They're they're unions for power, uh, and they push this down through the administrations of local school districts if they get a compliant school board then the school board will rubber stamp that and you're left with parents sitting there that have absolutely no input on the direction of the school other than perhaps going to a school board meeting and speaking for you know a minute two minutes three minutes every every two weeks or every month and that's really how the system works you know one of the uh, on a personal uh, incident on a personal example um, I uh, went to a local school board meeting here in my neighborhood, here in my area, and, um, you know, I spoke out against the changing of a name of a high school from Robert E. Lee, because apparently Robert E. Lee was uh, 
a slave owner and evil and uh had to be uh, his name had to be erased from history apparently and um i spoke out against that and um there were a couple of uh teachers and um i guess lobbyists who said you know who who said why you know i didn't even have kids in the school why did i care um i had to politely remind them that i pay taxes <laughs> for for this school district i mean how elitist are these people that they believe that uh, they can just uh, tell us what to do? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's really concerning that that, that continues to occur on, on multiple levels. So, so you have people that say, well, you don't get to have a say because, you know, you don't have kids in the school despite the fact that you pay taxes. You know, but you also have people that, that may be aligned with you, that, that may believe that, you know, what's happening in public schools is wrong, but but ultimately, you know, maybe they send their kids to, to private school, maybe they homeschool, and they're just not quite as motivated um, to engage with, with, you know, reforming public schools. And the problem is that the, the, the children that are attending public schools and the education they're getting, that's, that's going to be 90% of, you know, the next generation's leadership uh, in corporate America, in, in elected positions, in, in the federal government, state government, local government. So, you, you know, you can do all you want to, to really shape your children's education and give them the best education that aligns with your values. But if the rest of the country is going towards this, you know, woke agenda, everybody's a victim, nobody takes responsibility for their own actions, meritocracy is dead, what, what is the next generation going to look like? Especially when you look at other countries like China, Taiwan, South Korea, um, European countries, Finland, that are so far above us in, in the metric, in the education metrics, this is who we're going to be competing against. And, and they're about competition. We're about grievance in our education system. And, and that's going to create a problem for our leadership uh, class going forward. So these uh, uh, parent councils that were established, um, uh, they're gone now, this parent council. Um, but uh, do you think that they will uh, continue to push it, like maybe at the state level or local level? Oh, yeah. I mean, if there's one thing you learn from from being engaged in this fight, it, it, the fight's never over. You know, you, you get a win, but you have to keep pressing because they will continue to, you know, try and evade their responsibilities um, to, to enact their agenda. And I point to Title IX, for example. You know, Title IX was a was a law that was passed in the 70s that was designed to protect girls in K through 12 and um, uh, college education, right? Whether it's girls' sports, sexual harassment, um, discrimination, etc. Real girls, Title real IX, girls. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. It referred, to, you know, it referred to you know sex, right? Well, uh, it's obviously biological sex. But you know, in 2014 and 20, uh, 2016, the Obama administration said, "No, nah, we're going to interpret that as you know whatever they want to be, right? Gender identity." Um, and then, of course, you know, Trump comes in, they reverse that. But then as soon as Biden comes in, they reverse that again. So, you know, you can get these individual wins at, at the federal level. But until you actually get, you know, legislation and or litigation, which, you know, defines these these interpretations as unconstitutional, as, you know, against the, the, the law, you know, we're going we're gonna to be in this position where every time there's a switch in power, uh, you know, the game changes. And so, you know, that's one of the things we do at America First Legal. You know, we litigate. Uh, we litigate, we provide oversight, and we have several cases throughout the country. I mean, we have uh, one in Loudoun County, Virginia, which is where I'm from, where we're suing the, the school board and school administrators and the superintendent, who was actually just fired yesterday, um, for violating parental rights. We have one in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, where, you know, the, the school system will not tell the parents and will actually design a plan for a child that wants to change genders and only will tell the parents if the student, you know, could be as young as seven years old, eight years old, wants to tell the parents. We have a, a another case in, in Bethel, Ohio, uh, the Bethel School District in Ohio. Uh, it's a coalition of, of parents that, that includes Christians, it includes Muslims that are that are challenging the board's action to change their bathroom policy, not in an in a open meeting as they were supposed to, but you know behind closed doors uh, in violation of, of their of their rights and in violation of, of Title IX. And we're going to continue to bring these cases because, as I said, you know, legislation, 
Legislation is a heavy lift, but that's important. But so is litigation to you know get courts to rule on these issues because you can't necessarily rely on administrative action um, because that's that's going to change as as the administrations do. That that's incredible, and we've got to get people to the polls to vote in those board uh, school board elections. I mean that that's so important to get people to do that. Uh, tell Ian, tell the folks where they can follow you, where, what how they can support America First Legal Foundation. Well, they can go to aflegal.org, and certainly if you're dealing with some of these situations, we want to hear from you. Um, if you want to follow me, I'm at Ian D. Pryor on Twitter, and I encourage everybody to, to you know really wake up and see what's going on, not just at the national level, which is important, but also in your state. That's right. At, in your county, in your city, in your town, because you know you, you look around and you actually do the research and you find out that you know, this is coming to your town. Whether you know it or not, and if it hasn't, you need to be on the lookout, and if it has, you need to fight back. Amen. Thank you very much. You couldn't couldn't have said it better. Folks, we've been speaking with uh, Mr. Ian Pryor from the America First Legal Foundation. He is uh, one of the, he is the chief lead counsel there. Uh, and uh, thank you very, very much. Keep up the fight, Ian. Thank you very much. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Welcome back, my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. Welcome back to our program. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the first part of it. Uh, Congressman Randy Weber from the 14th District of Texas and uh, Ian Pryor with America First Legal Foundation. Uh, they, um, uh, They had a lot of information for us. We've got two more great guests that are going to um, uh, provide you some information. First of all, Ron Kovach, uh, Kovach who is the um, uh, spokesperson, he is the, the, the press person for FAIR, our sponsor, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. He's going to be chatting a little bit about how um, FAIR and the other organizations, there is a group of organizations, pro-immigration control organizations, that uh, are are banding together to do something to try to stop the uh, lame duck uh, Congress from enacting all sorts of crazy things. Ron's going to be chatting with us about that. Uh, our our final guest is going to be Todd Benzman from the Center for Immigration Studies, and you're going to want to listen to this. Todd Benzman is reporting on a Muslim immigration center a Muslim migrant center, which has uh, been developed in uh, Tijuana. This Muslim migrant center is helping specifically Muslim migrants to come into the United States, and they're doing it either legally or otherwise, by any means necessary, as Malcolm X might say. They uh, are are located right a few blocks from the... um, uh, from the U.S. border, and uh, there is no coordination with the U.S. Uh, the U.S. consulate in uh, in uh, Tijuana is doing nothing. You're going to want to listen to this interview, my friends. Todd Benzman's interview. It is very disturbing. It really highlights how callous, how careless the uh, Biden administration is about the public safety, about the safety of Americans in the United States, because we don't know who's coming in, my friends, and we don't know for what purpose. So uh, please tune in, listen to it, and thank you for joining us today. Let's go to our guests, Ron Kovach and Todd Benzman. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio here in San Antonio. And we've got uh, Mr. Ron Kovach, who is the uh, press secretary for FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform in Washington, D.C. I wanted to get Ron on here because uh, in this lame duck Congress, folks, uh, it appears that um, there's a rush uh, by uh, the Democrats to do whatever they can to push uh, amnesty and a few other things through. And uh, I, uh, Ron, welcome to the show. 
what is FAIR doing to uh, at least try to slow down or expose what these folks are trying to do? Hey, George, thanks for having me on. So FAIR has been doing a bunch of things over in Congress trying to make sure we can make sure that amnesty, things like that, aren't getting passed through in the lame duck session. You know, at the end of the day, you know, the American people, what they really want is border security. They want some relief in their towns from, you know, all the crime, all the different things, which are symptoms of the illegal immigration that we're experiencing right now. And what FAIR is doing is we're trying our best to make sure that this type of stuff doesn't get passed during the lame duck session of Congress, because as you and your smart listeners know, the lame duck is really when they're going to be trying to push a lot of this stuff through because they know, you know, come January, we're going to have Republicans in the House and it's going to be a lot harder to try to pass some of these Democratic, idealistic type of ideas like trying to get the Dreamers, Amnesty, everything along those lines. So what FAIR is doing right now is we are actually working with a group. It's 15 different groups tied together. It's FAIR, Numbers USA, Conservative Partnership Institute, Heritage, Texas Public Policy Foundation, all those types of folks were bannered together. We wrote a letter to Congress last week, actually, and what we said was, you know, just in this lame duck session, you guys got to make sure we're sticking to our guns, that we're not just going to be tweeting about the border crisis. We're not going to be negotiating, you know, under the table about this stuff. We're actually going to be making sure our policy is matching what we're saying and making sure we're looking out for the American people at the end of the day. Um, so we're working really, really hard, you know, sending letters to Congress. We're having meetings on the Hill, letting them know, you know, one of these recent fair studies that we just had come out said that 62 percent of the electorate believes that Congress should focus on securing the border and enforcing immigration laws. So it's clearly a minority in America the people who are wanting the mass amnesty, people who are wanting less, a less secure border. And we're just trying to make sure that Congress remembers this in the slam duck session. You know, uh, I was uh, in Del Rio yet, uh, this past weekend. And um, the, uh, I mean, the Border Patrol agents are just, you know, stretched so thin uh, that they can't do anything. Uh, I remember when I worked in the Reagan administration, that, you know, catching one or two illegal aliens as they crossed, uh, you know, was a big deal. But now you're watching, I mean, hundreds just cross and introduce themselves to the Border Patrol. And then the Border Patrol, all they do is just kind of release them afterwards. I mean, not even processing them. I mean, yeah. It, it, I mean it instead is, of it's uh, Customs and Border Protection, it's turned into Customs and Border Processing. I mean, it, it really, really has. I mean, you know, you look on the news anywhere. I mean, turn on Fox, turn on Newsmax, turn on OAN, whatever your favorite flavor is. And every single one, when you're looking at the border, you just see lines of people waiting in line just to get processed by Border Patrol, and they're not able to see anything. And I mean, you know, being down there on the border on your own, I mean, you know this. You know, you see these lines of people. What's happening in the areas where the Border Patrol isn't able to be because they have to process all these people? That's exactly right. And then on top of that, I heard uh, on Monday that um, the uh, Biden administration is now going to be offering um, uh, protections uh, to uh, Haitians. So uh, that's another group that's not going to be deported. uh, That's here illegally. Uh, I mean, what's the point of having immigration laws if they're not enforced? Yeah, of course, of course. And you know what one of the worst parts of that is, is, you know, we are making it so people who came here illegally, they're getting this amnesty. You know, Biden, of course, is going to try to bypass Congress with all this because that's going to take too long for his agenda. But it's also making those cut in line because, you know, you have people who are waiting to have their cases heard. You have people who have legitimate claims. You have people who are waiting to get legalized. And their steps and everything that they're trying to do, they just kept getting pushed further and further back in line because we're allowing people who are trying to cut the line to get through. Now, I don't know if, if, if you can answer this, but I flat do not understand why immigration was not a bigger issue in this past election, uh, uh, particularly in, in uh, Arizona or other places like that, or California for that much. I don't understand. Yeah. Uh, California, they weren't really talking about it a lot. I know Arizona, I mean, you know, Mark Kelly, he really tried to, uh, he really tried to flip the script because as we know, you know, he's really been kind of an open borders guy, guy who's been for the dreamers, a guy who's been for, you know, let them all in. Um, But, you know, when it actually came to election time, a lot of the things that he was saying were sort of um, along the lines of, you know, we need to secure the border, build the wall, things like that. And that's something that uh, they really try to push around election time, you know, oh, hey, of course, we're the first secure borders. Of course, we want some kind of limits. But, you know, as we see in the lame duck session ultimately when it comes push comes to shove when yeah you know you're actually coming to walk in and chewing bubble gum as they used to say those years back <laughs> you know, they're really not able to get it done <laughs> you got it 
Well, what uh, uh, what is Fair going to do in this coming? What do you what do you what does Fair see in this coming year? Uh, so in this coming year, you know, we see what the Republicans are going to do the best they can in the House of Representatives to make sure that we can't get things passed through there, you know, as far as trying to get mass amnesty, you know, anti-border security, whether it's defunding ICE, things along those lines. What the great thing is, is that, we, you know, Republicans are going to have the majority, so they're going to be able to sort of block any of these things that are going to try to come from the Senate or come from Biden that need to go through Congress. Of course, there's going to be things from Biden where he's going to try to do mass or, or you know, uh, grand executive orders, things along those lines, which are going to try to bypass things and, you know, only controlling one chamber, there's only so much you could do. But really what we're looking at is there's going to be a lot of different things where, you know, Republicans are going to try to suggest border security, are going to try to build more of the wall. I know I've heard Kevin McCarthy even say things along the lines, you know, should he be elected speaker, um, there's going to be hearings at the border talking about the border. There may be an investigation, you know, you remember the Benghazi committee, it's going to be kind of like a similar sort of thing, but for the border. Um, And really all these things are things that, you know, FAIR would be accepting of, but as far as what's actually going to get done, we haven't seen a true, true framework of what exactly, you know, every step Congress wants to get done is coming up here. Well, well we, you know, something needs to be done. I mean, uh, I mean, hundreds of people are arriving daily uh, at, at one point. Of That's them. thousands. Thousands of them are, are all over the place. I mean, thousands of them all over the place. It is just mm-hmm. incredible. Um, yeah, and I mean, we're looking at right now, I mean, there's somewhere, I think I read it was between six, 5,000 to 6,000 are coming over the border a day, almost, yes. coming over right now. And I mean, you talk about Title 42 coming down. I mean, we had that a couple of weeks ago um, where, you know, we had this case overturned and then now we have five weeks. It's uh, the beginning of January, I believe, is when Title 42 is officially going to be done, done and gone with. And I mean, we have populations of people who are lining up along the border waiting for that to finish. I've seen projected as high as 12,000 people a day are going to be crossing our border once Title 42 is all said and done at the beginning of January. Which is very interesting because um, uh, I, I still hear debates about uh, whether or not we should wear masks, but apparently not if you're crossing <laughs> the border. Yeah, I mean, it was what, uh, I think it was uh, six months ago, uh, I forget who Biden was talking to, he was at a car show, and I think he actually said the words that COVID is over, didn't he? Yeah, really. <laughs> so I guess, I guess it is at the border, definitely. My yeah. gosh. Well, buddy, thank you very much for taking time to be with us today. Um, we'll be looking forward to chatting with you some more uh, as uh, as uh, this administration uh, continues to um, well continues to leave the, the the border completely unprotected. Anything else that you'd like to to add? Uh, tell the folks where they can uh, contribute or support fair. Yeah, of course. You can reach us at fairus.org. There'll be a donate button right at the top of the page. If you know you like hearing this interview, like hearing some of the things we're doing to work with Congress, any donation works to help that cause. Any donation helps, you know. We're trying to make sure that uh, all the views that, you know, people who are listening to this show, you know, are, are trying to get done. Um, we're trying to make sure that mass amnesties aren't getting passed. We're not. Tr- we're trying to make sure the dreamers aren't going to be getting this mass amnesty that they're talking about right now. We're going to make sure the border wall is getting built. We're going to make sure ICE is funded. You know, just click on that donate button. Any donation helps um and also you know if you have listeners who are on facebook twitter anything like that you can find us at fair immigration we're on rumble we're on uh we have a uh uh, sorry excuse me we have a podcast on spotify uh understanding immigration there's plenty of ways you could look us up just look for fair and uh look at uh fairus.org that's our main website um great way to get in contact with us there you got it thank you very much we've been speaking with our good friend mr ron kovach with uh, the press secretary for FAIR. Uh, thank you very much, Ron. Hey, George, thanks so much for having me on. Feel free to have me on anytime. Love talking about this with you. You got it. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got our good friend, Mr. Todd Benzman, with the Center for Immigration Studies. Uh, Todd is a regular with us, and he has uh, uncovered, as usual, a very, very, well, to me, it's very disturbing, a very, very uh, interesting uh, center that is in Tijuana, Mexico, right across uh, from San Diego. Uh, Todd, welcome to the show. Tell us about this, uh, this center, this holding place or reception place. Well... Remember that we have had more immigrants cross the border and get apprehended who are on the FBI's terror watch list in the last year than in in all of the years of record keeping that I know of. Uh, People who are 
suspected known or suspected terrorists are crossing that border in significant numbers and in light of that and in that context uh, a, a shelter opened up in Tijuana just two city blocks from the wall that caters expressly to Muslim immigrants immigrants who are uh, planning to cross the border uh, legally or illegally or any way they can uh, and that there was a sufficient demand for their own shelter that catered to their uh, religious needs uh, mainly but also uh, providing all sorts of support so that they can eventually get across uh, the border the the initial round of press was all puff pieces in June of 2022 when it opened and I was kind of waiting for somebody to come in and you know take a good hard national security look at this place and it never came so I went myself uh, last month and knocked around the place in Tijuana for about three days interviewing uh, immigrants from Chechnya and young young uh, male military-aged men from Tajikistan and Uzbekistan and also present were Somalis and uh, people from had just left who were from Afghanistan uh, so from all of these countries uh, they're moving through this place. It's a very unusual congregation of what American Homeland Security regards as special interest aliens. Uh, this is a, a formal vernacular. It's supposed to trigger American counterterrorism security measures uh, when we catch them on our side, but also inside Mexico. The programs uh, that are required and have been in place for 15 years since 9-11 to make sure that none of them are terrorists that are trying to infiltrate over the border. Uh, so I, I uh, wrote, wrote my uh, findings and published them at CIS.org about this organization, the Latina Muslim Foundation, uh, based in San Diego. It's a nonprofit. They built this place. Uh, and it's a very uh, unique uh, experiment and a uh, place to sort of question what we're doing about it na national security wise let me let me make sure that 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 i understand this first of all um these are folks who want to get into the united states either legally or otherwise obviously okay however they are segregating themselves off i guess because of their religion uh and they have their own uh their own uh center where they can get uh, instruction and guidance and whatnot, I would imagine, where to find resources, um, ultimately how to get across, either legally or illegally. Am I Every, correct? Everybody, move, everybody moving through that shelter is on their way over that border. Wow. There's no Nobody's just uh, coming for the great Mexican dream. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I mean, quite a few of them are going to be just, you know, people who are economic migrants or, you know, they've got uh, war-torn areas uh you know the chechens are supposedly war draft dodgers the young men uh the uh you know somalis are coming through lots of africans coming through and the shelter helps them get over under this program uh for humanitarian parole that the americans have set up uh, you and i have talked about this i believe already once where the mexicans uh, pre get them pre-approved for the Americans for humanitarian parole and then hand them off at the bridge at the port of entry and this place is one of the shelters that participates and they've moved about 300 uh, a huge number of them Afghans uh, into the United States uh, through this program but a great many others don't want to go through that program they stay there and they arrange for smugglers to bring them over illegally. So, so there's both channels uh, moving through this. And I did interview, I get a rare interview with the shelter uh, director, uh, a female, a Mexican convert to Islam who runs this place. Uh, and she was very candid with me about, uh, you know, and had no problem answering my questions about national security. 
But that was even more troublesome to me uh, as somebody who's coming from the national security realm as an intelligence officer for the Texas Department of Public Safety for nine years. And that was that, you know, she said that the American uh, Department of Homeland Security or intelligence and law enforcement have never once approached her to question her about the people coming through and have never sought to uh, get identifications or to interview any of the folks that are moving through the shelter two blocks from the border. Now, obviously, and, obviously, these people are not being vetted as to, uh, you know, any kind of background or anything of the nature, right? Absolutely not. Uh, there, to the extent that they do get vetted, the shelter, in as part of that humanitarian parole handoff program, does interview them. But these aren't trained national security interviews or, or interviewers, people that are not particularly interested in ferreting out a terrorist that might be coming through or somebody that, that might be disqualified from entering. But um, to their credit, uh, if, it, if it's true, what they told me is that when they do suspect somebody, they call the Mexican uh, law enforcement and intelligence uh people in to come you know do additional backgrounding on them well that makes me and feel they safe. said that <laughs> and they, they said that in, in two cases they the, the mexicans found you know problems and recommended that the shelter not provide services to those to those individuals i don't have any details about that <laughs> but but the mexicans are not they're not arresting proactive. them or anything well, I don't really know what happened, but they're not being, they're not, the Mexicans are not proactively, overtly trying to figure out who these folks are. And the Chechens told me that they just flew into the airports wow. and nobody even, you know, screened them or, or uh, put them aside for secondary inspection or investigation or anything like that. Uh, and if the Mexican, if the Americans aren't doing it, like what I interviewed the ambassador, former ambassador for, the United States under Trump about this. And, you know, he said that, you know, he would have been all over this. I mean, their, their embassy, their consulate office in Tijuana would be all over this thing, not to mention intelligence agencies. Uh, but that if the American government is not showing interest, then the Mexicans aren't either. Uh-huh. So it looks like this place is just going to run, you know, they're just running people through there. Uh, the lady who runs this yeah go ahead no let me let me let me be very very blunt and ask you a well i guess a rhetorical question to you um it, it, given the given what we have seen the past uh 2 years of this administration regarding the border regarding illegal immigration regarding national security not only because of the the diseases that are coming in but um uh, the criminals that are coming across the, uh, uh, the uh, well, the number of terrorists have been. Co- Does it seem to you that this administration just doesn't care about our safety? I believe that they believe this is not a problem. That that terrorists don't really cross the border. I do believe that there are frontline intelligence people in our law enforcement and in DHS that do. I, I, I am hoping that individual frontline officers and supervisors are on this thing now that I brought it to attention. Uh, I'm getting some indication that they are. Uh, so, I mean, but the administration from the top, uh, I would, I'm going to just say that they don't uh, seem to believe in this sort of thing as a problem. I mean, uh, they I, don't I, seem to have I any don't understand how they in, wouldn't. I really don't understand how they don't. I mean, uh, well, let me put it this way: the 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 shelter manager who I interviewed at length for an hour uh, gave me. I met her at the shelter in Tijuana, and then I followed up with an interview with her by phone once I got back to the states. She seemed more concerned about you know, counterterrorism and terrorist infiltration than, than our own government. Wow. But, the, but she, I mean, you know, she said all the right things. She had all the right notes. I appreciated that she was able to, in 
willing to answer questions like this, which are sensitive for her, you can imagine, uh, in a fairly candid way, uh, or seemed candid to me. And, you know, she said, I am willing to open up my files and my offices and whatever I have is to the Americans if they would just ask me. Wow. But nobody's ever asked. Wow. And that to me said everything. Yeah. You know, why, why is this lady more interested? Well, she's incentivized because she would not want to have, she said it, I would not want to have somebody who came through my shelter conduct an attack right. in either Mexico or the United States. Of course, it would just be t- ruinous for them. Right. Uh, if listen, that were to happen. We've, we've only got about a minute to go. Um, give us a conclusion on this thing. What's going to happen? Well, well, I think, I mean, in October, we had another nine people cross the border who are on the FBI's terror watch list. Uh, I expect that those numbers will stay high. That's a lot of people on the FBI's watch list. Uh, we have over a million uh, who have gotten away undetected into the country, just regular immigrants. You have to assume con- conclusively that people on the watch list got through, were not, were not caught. And I think that in that context, a shelter like this offers an incredible opportunity to collect intelligence and make sure that none of those people, uh, that, that, they, that they're apprehended and prevented from crossing before they get out of that shelter. Right. Assuming that they're even going through that shelter. But this tells us that the Mexicans are overwhelmed on their side and the Americans don't care, so they don't care, and nobody cares, and these right. folks are just crossing through Mexico at right. will. Uh, tell the folks where they can read more about this. You can find a video report on this and my full written report from the field at cis.org, Center for Immigration Studies.org. I also have a piece, a derivative piece up today in The Federalist. Under my name, Todd Benzman, The Federalist. You can read a shorter version there. Gotcha. Todd, thank you very, very much for being with us and to bring this information to our attention. Once again, we've been talking with our good friend Todd Benzman from the Center for Immigration Studies, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 